0: going to be covering, my first session tonight is going to be, um, the title is Removing the Obstacles of Revival. Removing the Obstacles of Revival in your own life, in uh, your neighborhood, in your, uh, in your city, in your family, and it's really about if we can learn to discern where the true battlefield is. Because when we learn how to discern where the true battlefield is, Satan is no longer to be able to to take us captive and to hold us deceptive. And it gives us the upper hand. The second session, I'm going to talk about being sons and daughters of God. What it means, our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. And see, what we need is, is an encounter with God where we see Him as our Father where we see him as his daddy who loves us, but we see him as, as, as the creator of the whole universe. I mean, if uh, we've been graced you know, to, to have uh, uh, two lovely little children, one two years and one two months. And uh, my wife is actually uh, at, uh, at our friend's house where we're staying you know, with the kids tonight, and hopefully she'll be able to make it tomorrow night. But uh, when people look at the kids, you know, they, they get all googie-eyed and, oh, he looks like Daddy, oh, he looks like Mommy, you know, and, and I'm starting to look at that, you know, and I'm saying, wow, well, yeah, she does kind of look like me. And then she does something and go, oh, no, she is like me, you know. <laughs> but do you realize that is how it is with God? When God looks at us, he goes, oh, he looks like me. <laughs> he created us in his image. And we need to, to have an encounter with him and see his utter holiness that is so beyond what we can imagine. And yet at the same time, this love that there's nothing that can stop it or restrain it. Just just depths and depths of love coming over us. And then out of that, we have a revelation of our own sinfulness and our need of redemption. And then we can receive the blood of Jesus as the Old Testament coal that touched Isaiah's lips and be purified. And we need that to come into a place of empowerment to fulfill the task that the Lord has given us. And that will be the second session. So I encourage you to come for that. And if you know anybody who needs a touch from God, who needs to be, you know, have a breakthrough, who needs to be delivered, you know, who needs a personal breakthrough, drag them along, you know, bribe them to come. Tell them you'll buy them dinner if they come. The Lord wants to minister to them. And then the third session is going to be on foundational principles of intercession and it'll actually uh, uh, kind of be review what we've already covered and then lay some to specifically see how do we go about to to intercede and the Lord has uh, has given us has shown us at least you know what we understand so far of five levels of authority that need to be gained in order to pray effectively for our city and what we've seen is that many times intercessors come together and we pray and we pray, but our prayers are sometimes effective, but sometimes not effective. And sometimes Satan is able to just get us almost running in circles. So, um, and if we can break out of that, we can become much more effective in interceding for our cities and see breakthroughs like we've never seen before. And so um, the, the levels of authority we've seen is the first area, level of authority, that you need to pray effectively for is for your family. In other words, you can't pray for the city if you can't pray for your family. Right. And then you need to be able to pray for your neighborhood. I mean, so many times we come together to intercede for the city, but it's just vague generalities. And then our own neighbors, the ones who we have contact with, we don't have God's heart for. And I've seen that as a major uh, a discrepancy among intercessors. And I'm sure no one here is like that, but uh, other people I've heard about it sometimes. <laughs> We're praying for God to move in the city, but we're still fighting with our own neighbors. And so we're ineffective. Satan is, it, it, Our prayers are, are ineffective at best. <laughs> and then after uh, the next level, we need to learn how to intercede effectively for our own congregation, for our own pastor that the Lord has put over us. Then we need to learn how to pray, intercede effectively for the pastors of the city, of the ch- for the church of the city. And then we can pray effectively for the city. And also know that when Satan comes against us, these doors are closed and he has nothing against us. So that is going to be the subject of the last session. So um, I encourage you to come back and bring a friend. So, you know, that's what the Lord has on the menu. Sometimes the Holy Spirit changes it, but that's what we're shooting at. Amen? I also, we have some merchandise in the back that I just want to touch on uh, quickly. We have Ed Silvoso's new book. If you don't have it yet, I encourage you to get a copy of it and read it. It's very powerful. He talks about changes that are coming in the body of Christ, that the whole messages, paradigms, that is changing the way we think as a body of Christ, not just in pockets, but generally, messages that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. And when you read these, you're, they're going to resonate and say, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing that. Ed has this, this way of explaining and saying, oh, that's why I do what I've been doing, you know. But what, what it's going to encourage you with is you're going to see that what you have thought you have been working for is really, you're just a pond, Which some kind, sometimes can be discouraging, but when it's God who's the chess player, it's awfully encouraging that it's a greater move of changes that the Holy Spirit is bringing to the body of Christ, that when these changes come to pass, the reaching and the fulfillment of the Great Commission will be inevitable and unstoppable. Very, very encouraging. So I, if you don't have that book, I encourage you to get it. The other is, is, is called Listen to Me, Satan, by um, a man named Carlos Anacondia. And he talks about the revival. Carlos Anacondia with, As my inheritance. Give me my neighbors as my inheritance. Give me Elk River as my inheritance. Give me my neighbors as my inheritance. Give me my my family as my inheritance. The key word, though, is inheritance. See, so many times when we pray for a move of the Spirit, So many times when we pray for a loved one, our mind gets in the way. We have to try to figure it out, we have to try to rationalize it. And many times, I mean, I can't speak for you, I can just speak for myself. But I used to come before the Lord and I'd heard the stories about revival, I'd heard about the revivals in the past, about the Welsh revival that happened in Wales at the turn of the century, where in three years the entire society was turned upside down, the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully, I heard about the Great Awakenings. How many of you have heard about the Great Awakenings? Charles Finney? You know, like in the city of Boston back in the 1800s in, in the height of the Great Awakening, the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully that He literally shut down the city of Boston. People were just, the conviction of sin was so powerful the judges didn't have any tra- cases left to try. Because everyone, there was such a fear of God on the people, no one was doing crimes anymore. The jails were empty. The policemen, to earn their keep, had to put on white gloves and go lead people to prayer meetings, and, or else they sang in barbershop quartets. They didn't have anything else to do. And the Spirit of God was so powerful on the city of Boston that there was a phenomenon as these ships would come in with these pagan you know, sailors you know, who were hardened from you know, from, from the, the cares of, the, of, of this world were just hardened against the things of God. Hardcore sinners. As soon as they would cross the border where it was no longer international waters and it was now considered part of Boston Harbor, about three miles out, they, the conviction of sin would fall upon the boat and they'd come up to the, the top and they'd fall down on the, on, on, on the deck and they'd start weeping and weeping and they S.O.S. ahead, S.O.S., and they'd get on the, you know, the guys at the dock would get on the thing and say, what's going on, you know? Is your boat sinking? Is there a fire? Is there a sort of crisis? And they'd say, no, have pastors at the deck. We need to get our souls right with God. We need to be saved. And they'd come there and the pastors would get these, these men who were just broken down like little babies, weeping, and they'd take them to the church and they'd be born again and get saved. Oh, I heard about that. Man, I got excited. I'm crazy enough to believe it. And I'm crazy enough to say, Oh, God, if you did it then, can you do it now? And I prayed, and I used to pray fervently, and I remember there was a little mountain. Well, it wasn't really a mountain. More like a little mound of dirt. I grew up in a little city called Atalanto in Southern California. I think the population is about 18,000. How does that rate with Elk River? Oh, really? Wow. Okay, so I I feel right at home here, okay? I'm Hicktown, California, you know? And it was like an exported inner city, you know. People tried to get away from L.A., and, and they didn't get away. They just brought it with them, you know. And poverty and misery and just crazy stuff. And pastors got so beat up. And I used to go up to the top of that mountain, you know. I mean, the little mound of dirt. I mean, it wasn't much higher than this building, you know. But that was the closest thing we had. And I'd go up, and I'd just pray over the city, and I'd cry out. But then the Lord began to highlight this word inheritance. Ted, you don't really believe. I said, no, I, I believe you did it. I believe you did it. I'm not doubting the stories I heard. But see, if we don't understand that it's our inheritance, what's an inheritance? Something you get by a legal right. See, if it's your inheritance, you don't have to go, oh, Mr. Lawyer, If you so please, or Mr. Judge, if it so please you, if you're having a nice day, you know, if your wife's been nice to you, can you please give me a favor and give me my inheritance? It's not like a lottery, oh, you buy a ticket and wait around, oh, maybe I'll win, maybe I'll win, maybe I'll win, oh, maybe I'll be lucky, ah, oh, oh, lost again. Bummer. That's not what an inheritance is. You own it by legal right. You didn't do anything to earn it, but somebody else did. See, Jesus paid for the nations through his blood. And now he has given it to you. And so many times we come together and we pray and we pray and we reason it out. And we see 2,000 years and there's a pocket of revival at the beginning. And then there's a few spaces here and there, you know, where God has moved with power and the nations have been upset and turned around and there's been a mighty move of God and entire people groups, you know, have come to the Lord. And we hear about the missionaries. You know, and we watch the video, Peace Child, and we see this entire people group, 80% of them are born again, and the power of God has transformed in its entire people group. We say, oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe he'll do it here. And we think in the back of our minds that we're asking God to do something that is a special favor that he does occasionally at some time. Which I commend you. I mean, the Lord commended me on my logic. It's very logical. You've reasoned it out well. The problem is, is it's not biblical. It's your inheritance. See, God wants to send His Spirit more than we want to receive it. God wants to give us the nations more than we want to receive them. Why is that such a problem? Oh, but I'm praying for revival. Oh, poor me. If God gives me anything, I'll be happy. Well, that's great. But He wants to make a step beyond that. See, because what I would do and, you know, I can't speak for you. I can just speak for myself. Is so I would pray and I'd pray, and when God didn't send the answer, I'd say, oh, well, I guess God doesn't really want to do it. But God says, no, 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 I want you to get to another place where when God doesn't send the answer, i say, oh, God, what is holding it back? Why not? Your Word says it. And pass to this place of faith where you take on the responsibility that is necessary. And then the Lord was able to say, well, Ted, you need to go a little deeper. You need to humble yourself more. You need to embrace the cross more. We need to get to a place of desperation. See, I think we want revival, but I'm not sure we're desperate enough yet. Are we willing to cry out? Are we willing to to come before the Lord and to take on the needs of the lost? See, there was so much work in me that needed to take place, that needs to take place. For me to be able to represent him. For me to be able to to be a vessel through which his spirit can flow. And I need to be transformed. And if I just come before with this, come before God with this misery, poverty mentality, and I say, Oh God, would you, could you put, would you please, please, please give me a crumb. God is gracious. He's going to give me a few crumbs. But he wants to say, No, Ted, come along. Cry out to me. Stand firm. Stop hiding behind these excuses. When I don't answer, seek me harder. Stand in the gap. Become an intercessor. Amen? So you're willing to ask for your inheritance. So that's what I want to talk about today. Let's go to John 20, verse 21. See, there he gives us the commission. He's speaking to Jesus. If you look in your notes, this is in the 12 principles, principle number one, and today I'm going to cover principle one, two, and three, and possibly another one, depending on how far I get. And then, um, and then, then tomorrow I'll cover some of the other principles, and then I'll close with others. John 20, verse 21. This is where Jesus is giving us the commission. I want someone to stand up and read that. Is this mic still alive? I want someone. Who, who's someone that people trust here? Come on, quickly, stand up. Okay, Ken, I want you to read John 20, verse 21, so everybody knows I'm not making it up. It's really in the Bible.
1: Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you.
0: Okay, did you all hear that? Jesus appears before His disciples. This is after He has defeated death. He's got 40 days you know, to hang out with them before He's taken up again. And He appears to them and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is the first principle we need to understand. This is where our commission to intercession comes. That we have been commissioned with the same commission and in the same manner that Jesus was commissioned. Amen? Is that what it says? Do we all agree? Does anyone disagree? Talk to me later, okay? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The first thing I want to bring before you is that Jesus was commissioned with power. Jesus was not just sent to go out and to to talk, but he was anointed with power. And everywhere he went, he had a spiritual power to prove that what he was saying was true, to demonstrate the message. See. And we need to understand that this is not a commission just to go out and talk, but with it comes an empowerment. See, Jesus never allowed people to engage Him merely at an intellectual level. See, and He was talking and He'd present some pretty strange claims. He would say, I look like you, but I'm not really like you. I have God inside of me. In fact, I am God. In fact, all, you know... You know where I was born, but that's not where my origin comes from. Before Abraham even existed, I existed. And these were some pretty hard claims to understand. But with that came a power. And he said, if you cannot believe me on behalf of my words, look at my miracles. Now I want you to put yourself in the feet of someone he was talking to, of one of his disciples, of just one of the people that hanged around him around Jerusalem. And Jesus, here's this crazy man, you know, who's a little different, he's a little strange. And he's saying, the reason I'm so strange and I'm not like any of you is because I am the Son of God. I come from God. And the first thing you're going to say is, Well, wow, that's a little hard to swallow, you know. I mean, you know, he's a nice guy, I like them all. But then he says, if you can't believe me on behalf of my words, believe me on behalf of my miracle. So what would they start to think? Okay at that funeral the other day okay let me think that lady was weeping and her son was dead and he was cold and he was i'd known he was dead and then jesus showed up laid hands on him and the boy popped up okay so he can raise the dead all right i remember lazarus he stunk i smelled him myself they wrapped him up he was three days dead i mean he was dead 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 i know he was dead Jesus gets there, talks to him, and says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes running out of the grave. And I know he's alive because I just had coffee with him the other day. Okay, so maybe he is the Son of God. It wasn't that hard to buy, after all, when you looked at his works. And Jesus had a tremendous advantage over so many other preachers. (laughs) I mean, the poor Pharisees, they were arguing with him, and they were saying, no, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And the reason you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath is because we say it. And the reason we say it is because our forefathers said it. And the reason they said it is because their forefathers said it. And so therefore you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, I think you should heal on the Sabbath. And the reason you should heal on the Sabbath is because you guys misinterpret everything that Moses said. You don't understand it all because your hearts are dark and wicked. And you don't know God because you're a bunch of snakes and vipers. Do you realize that the, that the Pharisees, they were like the combination of the, you know, the religious rulers, the government rulers, and the mafia, all wrapped into one. <laughs> and if you challenge them, you know, that was quite, you know, quite a thing, you know. But Jesus never, you know, and they're arguing this, and it's on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, and it's packed full, and everyone's watching. What's going to happen? Because these, you know, I mean, are they going to shoot Jesus, you know? What, he's confronting the power at the time. I mean, they were the power. And Jesus says, by the way, you there with the withered hand, stand up, stretch your hand forth. And the whole place saw it. And then it's basically like, well, guys, deal with it. <laughs> and he had a tremendous advantage over them. Jesus was sent with power. Do you want that power? Folks, as much as we have received a commission to go tell people about Jesus, we have received a commission to go with the power of the Holy Spirit and to show people the power of Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you want it? Start to dream. Can you start to dream? What is your dream? Let yourself go. This is a small group, okay, you know. No one's gonna tell. Oh, you actually believe in miracles. It's one thing to believe in miracles. We all believe in miracles. And we all believe in the miracles that happened, you know, in the book of Acts, that's easy. And it's easy to hear, you know, the testimonies in Argentina, you know. Oh, that's great, yeah. It's a little bit harder, but we can do that, you know, in Africa. Oh, that's wonderful. China, oh, that's wonderful. But to actually believe in miracles that don't just happen through an anointed super Christian, at just the right moment. But to believe, and to be crazy enough to believe that God wants to heal the sick through your own hands. And not just occasionally, but that to be part of the ministry of the church. Start to dream. What is your dream? What is your dream? The Holy Spirit poured out in power without reserve. What would it take? That loved one of yours. That brother-in-law. That son-in-law, that daughter-in-law, that uncle, that aunt, that cousin. What would it take to convince them that God is real? What would it take? Think about it. Just dream. Just dream. We're just, we're just dreaming now. What is your dream? Someone asked me that last week, and I started to think. And the Lord reminded me of an actual dream I had. And I was, this is my dream. This didn't actually happen. This, I dr- it actually happened that I dreamed about it, but it didn't actually happen in, you know, in the world, you know. And, and in my dream, it was us at Harvest and all our friends. You know, y'all, you know. There's a whole bunch of us. And we were down in a city, and, and, I, and the city was basically, it could have been any city. That was the point. And we were on teams, and we were just going throughout the street and in the city was so oppressed we were in the inner city and there was you know street children so beat up there was alcoholics there was prostitutes It was was just a terrible terrible place and we broke up in teams we were just going out all over the city and we're just praying for people and everywhere we went it was just like the light and the glory of god swept back the darkness and we'd go up to people and we'd ask them to pray for them. And someone would say, oh, sure, yeah. And we'd pray for them, boom. God would touch them and they'd get saved. Other people were more skeptical and say, oh, man, I don't want to do that. You know, don't." And we were just so eager, we'd just, oh, come on, come on. it only take a minute, come on. We'd bribe them, whatever it takes. Hey, I'll buy you a sandwich, let me pray for you. You've got to have some need. Oh, come on, let's see. And we'd convince them and do anything we could do to let them allow us to pray for them. And anyone who let us pray for them, God would come and touch, and instantly their eyes would be open. He'd meet their need in some way. And the power of God would touch them, and they'd get saved. And the whole city was being transformed. I remember there was this one homeless street child sitting there, and I just knew that you know, he was stiff and glue, and everything he knew in his life was just rejection and pain and hurt. And we went down, and we prayed for him, and God just touched him so powerfully, transformed him. And then we were in this, this shack and there was this prostitute there. This this beat up, dirty old shack. She, she was sharing part of her, what had happened in her life. And she had been abused since as long as she can be, remember. Beaten and used and sold and all this. And she represented the, the, the fullness of, of, the, of the curse of sin and the separation from God and just all piled upon her. And we said, God loves you. And she says, You guys are crazy, man. Don't take up my time. God loves me. And I said, No, God loves you. And she says, Forget it. Forget about it. Forget about it. I said, No, God loves you. Let me pray for you. She said, oh, Okay, I don't care. Pray for me. You, know. you guys are crazy, anyways. So I stood there, and I just barely, just barely, barely, barely touched her on her forehead. And I said, Oh, God, show her your love. And when I prayed that, it's just like the power of God rushed in and touched her. She went, this was in my dream, okay, so it's okay. She went flying across the room, bam! And I'm like, I've never seen, I've never seen anything like that. And I look up, I'm so happy, and I say, it's real, it's real. God loves you, God loves you. And she gets up, so much hurt, so, much, so hard to believe and to hope again. And she says, oh, it's all a lie. You just pushed me over. I said, okay, okay, let's try it again. You stand there on the other side of the room, and I get over here, see my hands? All right, all right, my hands are beyond, okay? You can see my hands, all right? I'm not touching you, right? Keep your eyes open, okay? Okay, now I'm going to pray, and we're going to see if God is real. If God is real, he's going to answer my prayers. I don't have to try to convince you. I don't have to talk you into it. If he's real, he has the responsibility to prove it. And I prayed, oh, God, show this woman how much you love her. And the glory of the Lord just filled the room, and like in my dream, I saw it. It's like this beautiful purple light just lit up the whole place. And suddenly, this shack that looked was so oppressed, when the glory of the Lord filled it, it looked like a palace. And then this she had this little light bulb up there and, you know, it could barely work and it it started glowing with purple light. It was a white light bulb and she looked down at her hand and there was a ring on her finger and the white ring began to shine forth with purple light and she looked at it and just began to weep and weep and weep and and says, God really does love me. Oh, wow, can you dream? That was my dream. The dream didn't end there, though. The Lord was showing me, I mean, what is my dream as an intercessor is about 15 years later. Oh, dream, dream. This can happen in St. Paul. This can happen in Elk River. And I was walking down this, in another city, and I was walking down, and we were doing the same thing, and I was much older, you know, and I was, you know, and everyone with me was much older. (laughs) We were trying to reach another city for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I walk by this theater and I look and I look and there's this posters for this revival meeting. And I know that lady, that was that lady. I hadn't seen her since 15 years ago. And I walk in there and I get backstage and I see her. And here's this woman who was a prostitute, now has become a Mary Magdalene. And she gets up and the place is packed to hear her talk and hear her share and she gets up and she has to grab hold of the pulpit, it's so powerful. And she's about to share about what God has done in her life. And before she can even begin to talk, weeping and wailing under the conviction of sin falls upon the place as people just see the love of God and begin to just get saved and repent. And the whole place is just crying out and crying out as they see the love of God before she's even talked. Oh, and I get to meet her afterwards. And I'm just, no one knew who I was. I was a nobody. This lady was world famous. Being used by God. The Word says that everything Satan has meant for evil, God will turn around for good. So I have a biblical basis that God wants to fulfill it. Let your dreams bubble up. Think about it. He wants to do it here. We have been commissioned in the same way that Jesus was commissioned. Folks, Elijah went to the mountaintop. And he was believing God for a great rain, for a, for, for a great storm, for rain clouds to come and to break the drought and to flood rain over all, of the, over all of the nation of Israel. And he got up there and there was nothing in the natural. When he looked around him, dry, 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 dry. Three years of drought and no sign of a change. Nothing at all. The only place he could look and to find hope was at the word the Lord had spoken inside of him. So he bends down like a woman in labor. And I believe the reason he did that was to get his eyes off of the circumstances and to look at the reality, look at the truth, get his eyes off of the external reality and look at the true reality the word the Lord had spoken inside of him and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and you know what he said now go see if something's changing and his servant came back and said sorry dude nothing's up forget about it so he prayed and he prayed he said go back again have you heard a bad report has your servant come back and told you oh nothing's happened oh, you've been praying for so long and you believed, oh, you used to believe that God was going to change your, was going to save your family, was going to change that backslidden child, was going to change your, those ones you love. You used to believe it and you cried out and you prayed and you prayed, but you got a bad report. Oh, nothing's happening. Oh, then you encouraged yourself again. And you prayed and you prayed. And you say, okay, now, has something happened. He went out and he came back. Another bad report. Oh. The only place Elijah could look to see a testimony of what, that what, was, that what he believed was going to happen, the only place he could look was inside his own heart. And so he went back there again and says, no, God, what you've spoken to my heart is going to come to pass. The, you're going to send the revival. Six times he has to endure a negative report. Nothing's happening. Forget it, Elijah. You're wasting your time. Finally, the seventh time, his servant goes back. And he comes back and he says, well, Elijah, forget it. Nothing's happening. Oh, by the way, I saw the cloud the size of a man's hand. But you know, those come all the time. You know, <laughs> It's not revival. It's not a storm. Forget about it. And if Elijah had not been focused on his promise, had not been focused upon the word that is spoken to him, he would have missed it. But he says, No. Now is the time. The cloud the size of a man's hand is coming. It's time to stop praying and get up, and you better run. You better run to the city, because the storm is a coming. The cloud the size of a man's hand. Have you seen a cloud the size of a man's hand? I've seen it. That very day, I know it was God who reminded me of that dream. Because that evening in the city of San Francisco, we had a, a prayer meeting, an intercessory prayer time. We come together once a month to pray for the city. We come from intercessors from around the city, and we don't have very many. But the Lord is increasing it, and we're crying out, and believing God that the breakthrough we've already seen will continue. we were there praying, and one of the problems we've had is People show up and disrupt the meeting, you know. I mean, San Francisco is a crazy city. And we are anyways, this time someone showed up and, to, to disrupt the meeting. Well, at least that was Satan's plan. We were, we were praying there and we said, let's pray and let's go, let's go. And, and, what, and so we commissioned someone to go out and pray in the streets. And they went and prayed in the streets, believing God for a move of his spirit in the streets. And he ran across two homeless people. He started talking to them. They started panhandling. Say, said, will you give us a sandwich? He says, yeah, I'll give you a sandwich if you let us pray for you. He said, oh, sure, that's fine with us. He brought him into the meeting. So I went into the back, you know, to help him pray for him. We started praying for this guy. Vodka, you know, drunk, out of his mind. As drunk, drunk, drunk as can be. And we just start praying for him, and he, he, he gives me his hand, and his hand is all swollen here. And it's, I don't know what it was, it looked like some sort of, it looked like really big blisters. And it's swollen on the back, okay? So we take his hand, and we just start praying. Say, God, you love this man. Show him how much you love him. And Father, I pray you heal his hand. He grips his hand back, and starts cussing me out in the middle of the church. Everyone's like, what the, is going, what are you doing, what are you doing to my, and it's, it's going down. He's, what's going on here? And he's, he's like scared out of his mind. What's going on here? I just looking at him. I was as surprised as he was, you know. But I was playing it cool. <laughs> this happens all the time when I pray for people.
1: <laughs>
0: I look him in the eyes and I say, it's because God loves you. Yeah. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he says, no, 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 no. No, no. And it was the shame. How can anyone love me? I'm worthless. No, 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 no. Forget it. No. And then he turned back. I'll fight you in a minute. I'll take you down. I'll take you down. I'm not afraid of you. You're big, but I'm not afraid of you. And we say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Receive it. Receive it. And then he'd break down. So we figured there had to be some demons there. So he took authority and said, Out in the name of Jesus. And the power of God I mean, hey, I was as surprised as anybody. The power of God came, and the guy started being transformed, and he like, you know he'd be about to fight us, you know,, And then just this peace would come, and then something else would come up, and, and, and he was, the Lord was just delivering him and taking the spiritual bondage that was holding him captive, taking it free. And after we prayed for him for about half an hour, he ends up on his knees just weeping, weeping. And at first he wasn't able to say it, but then he says, Jesus, come into my heart. And then he looks at me. And he says, I'll follow Jesus anywhere. Oh, it was powerful. Have you seen a man's hand? I mean, this was, have you seen the cloud the size of a man's hand? Have you seen it? People have discredited it. Say, oh, it just happened once. The guy was drunk. You know, it's no big deal. Oh, God does that occasionally. People have brought a bad... How many of you have received a bad report? Okay, we can be honest. How many of you have received a bad report? Well, let's just stop there before we go any further and say, Father God, we humble ourselves before you. We have believed a bad report. We confess it as sin. And we break the power of the bad report. report. Father, you've entrusted us with a vision. It did not come from man. It came from you. You have shown us what you desire to do. Your word says that you want that none should perish, that you want to pour out your spirit upon all flesh, We know that Jesus, when He died on the cross, shed His blood, not for us alone, but for all mankind. Father God, forgive us for believing a bad report and doubting Your Word. Now we receive forgiveness. And we believe. We cry out. Let your kingdom come. come. Praise you, Father God. That is our commission. We have been commissioned in the way that Jesus was commissioned. But how does intercession fit into all of this? What is our call as intercessors? Why was Jesus sent? Anyone know? Why was Jesus sent? To seek and save that which was lost. Alright, does anyone disagree? Anyone? So we all agree, right? Amen? Jesus was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. Where did he do that? How did he do that? Out on the streets, okay. Okay. At the cross. At the cross. Primarily. Where's the event? Where did he do that at? On the cross. All right? Does anyone disagree? We all agree. Nod your head if you agree. So, you would all agree with me unanimously that Jesus was sent to seek and to save the lost, and he did that primarily through his work on the cross. Amen? I've never had a group disagree with me yet. So let's get back to the passage. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is giving to us the commission the Father gave to Him. This is our model of intercession. Do you want to see what intercession really is? It's Jesus on the cross. We're looking at Him. That is what intercession is. And see, the cross was the foundation of everything Jesus did. It, everything He did pointed to that, and everything He did flowed out of that. See, the reason Jesus had power to heal the sick was because of the cross. See, He was not sent just to do a few miracles and go back to heaven. No, He was sent to redeem all of mankind. And because of that, as a demonstration of that, and, as, and pointing to that, and to establish that, He healed the sick. He was not sent just to share the truth. He was the truth. why it says that unless we take up our cross and follow Him, we cannot be His disciples. That's why He says, unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you cannot be My disciples. So we need to learn how to discern the cross. When we first come to Jesus, the cross for us, as it always is, but when we first touch, the cross is redemption and salvation for us. It's the blessing of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the salvation to take everything that has been holding us in bondage and transform it. But then now that we have been touched by God, He's inviting us to a deeper place, a place of deeper intimacy, a place of greater blessing. And He's saying, now I want you to fellowship along with me. In the, fellow, in, the, in the fellowship of my sufferings, I want you to come to that place where you understand what Jesus was doing on the cross. And this is the ministry of intercession. And we can't do that naturally. We can't do that in our own flesh. We can't do that in our own strength. But we can look to Jesus... And in the way that he went to the cross, he will bring us along and show us what the cross is. I want to just, I'm going to switch directions a little bit here. And and what I was planning on covering, I'll leave that for tomorrow night or the, the night after. But I believe the Lord wants to give us a revelation of the cross. And he wants to show us his love for us in a deeper way of what the redemption that Christ paid for us when he went up there. But to also, so that we can trust him, that God has our best interests in mind. And that if Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died, it's not a dead Savior that God is presenting to the world. It is a risen Savior. A dead Savior would be worthless to the world. It is a risen Savior who overcame death. And so although the cross was the worst, the hardest trial that Jesus could go through, when He Himself, you know, the greatest man who ever lived, was in Gethsemane and was preparing for this and was crying out, as far as He could get is, I am not willing, I cannot do it in myself, but nevertheless, your will, not mine but he could trust his father that even though he could not get through it himself his father would bring him through see we need to discern the cross it all gets back to an understanding of the cross of Jesus if when Jesus went to the cross he had you in mind he had me in mind amen and it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 32 that if god did not with hold from us His own Son, but freely gave Him in ransom for us all, how will He not with Him freely give us all things? In other words, that means, if God gave Jesus, you could trust Him. He will give you all things. He will empower you everything you need to fulfill the commission. Everything you need to to live a fulfilled life, He will give it to you. But see... We need to trust Him because of the cross. That God has our best interests in mind. That if we abandon ourselves to Him, we're in good hands. That if we step out by faith, if we venture out and if we become vulnerable, He will show Himself faithful. How do we know that? Because He did not withhold His Son. But now the Lord wants to invite us to a place of intimacy and say, will you share Jesus is saying, will you share with me my sufferings? Will you go to the cross with me? And we need to trust Him that He already went there and that if, He will lead us and not take us beyond what we're able. And I've, how many of you have been going through trials recently? It's interesting. A lot of us have been going through trials. Is there anyone who's doing okay? <laughs> We've been going through trials personally, my wife and I. And the Lord has been taking us back and showing us different principles. First of all, to learn to thank God in the midst of our trials. See, according to our faith and our response, our trials can either be from the devil to destroy us or if we respond correctly they can be from God to perfect us. But we have to choose and make decisions and it's our responsibility. See, The cross, look at that trial. That is the cross for you. That cross can either destroy you or it can make you strong. See, that cross is the necessary doorway that you need to go through to relay hold of that dream that we talked about. See, we're already facing the cross. And we can choose to get bitter and to get cynical and the cross will destroy us or we can choose to embrace it. And if we embrace it, if we fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus, we'll also fellowship in His glory. The Lord wants to send a revival, but He needs to perfect us so that we are able to represent Him, so that the power of God doesn't get to our heads and destroy us, so that we can come in total humility, not on our own interests, Not exalting ourselves, but representing another and having no personal interest in the matter. There is a transformation that needs to take place in me. There's a transformation that needs to take place in you so that the power of God can flow through you to touch those who you desire to see Him touch. That is the cross. So how is it? How do we need to respond? Number one. We need to learn how to thank God for the trials. Thank Him for them. And it's easy to say amen with our minds. It's a lot harder to say amen with our hearts. But if we see that there's a vision that I want. See, the reason a trial hurts so much is when we think, "Oh, well, I'm doing basically okay. And we don't have any great desire or passion. And things are going all right. And then the trial comes and it gets us down and we say, oh, this is a negative thing. But if we're saying, no, I'm not doing all right. I'm doing okay, I'm content, I'm praising God, but there's something up there that I want. I want to be transformed into the image of God. I want to lay hold of the revival in my city. Then we say, status quo isn't okay. And then if we understand that and we approach it from a place of humility and a brokenness, then when the trial comes, we say, okay, this is something inherently good because I need a a catalyst to get beyond where I am to where I need to go. So you need to connect your dream with your trial and realize that God has custom-built the trial for you, for you to go from the place you are to the place you need to be so that you can lay hold of what He desires to give you, so that you can be the vessel through which He flows without it destroying you. So that's the first step. Amen? How many of you agree? Y'all agree? So let's do it. Let's say, thank you God, for my trial. I don't have to understand it, but by faith, I believe that this is a custom-made trial to get me from where I am to where I need to be. I embrace your work in my life. Thank you for your discipline because it changes me into the image of your Son. So I embrace the trial. That's step one. Step two is to realize that you are not a victim. See, Jesus could have been a victim and could have said, oh, poor me, they're taking my life away. My ministry is doing so great, it's about to blossom. And now they're rejecting me, crucifying me, handing me over to the Romans and killing me. He could have been a victim and said, oh, poor me. Oh, well, they're getting what they deserve. But he never allowed himself to be a victim. And so now, the very thing that they were taking away, that Satan was taking away, that the people who were opposed to him were taking away, he says, you can't take it away, because before you do that, I'm going to give it away. And who did he give it away to? He gave it away to the very people who were taking it from him. The Lord showed me this. Who was one of the first people to get saved when heaven broke open? A centurion. Who were the people who were crucifying him? Who were the people who were abusing him? The Roman soldiers that had gathered around him and put the, thorn on, the, the crown of thorns on his head were beating him, were mocking him, had whipped him, had beat him to a pulp. Those were the people who were taking his life. And he says, no, I'm giving it away to them, so they can't take it away. And then, instead of being a victim, he became the overcomer. And the chief, centurion who was leading the charge who was leading the abuse against him was the first was one of the first ones to come into the kingdom and the lord led me to that and says satan can't take anything away from you that you're freely willing to give away now i want you to make that personal because jesus gave away and he says jesus says no one takes away my life i freely lay it down When things were going bad, when things were going the worst, Jesus says, it's not so bad, I am choosing to go there. And because he chose to lay it down, then he says, and if I lay it down, I have the right to take it up again. And it was because he was freely willing to lay it down that after he had laid it down, he could pull a switcheroo on the devil and take it up again and turn the greatest victory of the devil into his final defeat so now let this speak to you personally and i want to share how the lord ministered to us we were in the midst of a financial trial things were going bad i mean things were going bad you know when you run to the end of, you you run out of money before you run out of month and we were like halfway through and we had this was something that was long it was sustained and we had exhausted all our resources. And it was literally the end, you know. I mean, no more money in the bank. No more nothing here, there, or the other place. And we literally took our last $5, our last nickel. And my wife had budgeted what we need for the children. <laughs> Gone to the grocery store, you know. And we'd done our last thing, and we had to. Gr- I mean, you know, we, had, we weren't starving yet. But we were, we were at that place. No more money. And several days in the month left. And it was a place where you could be pretty discouraged. But the Lord was so gracious to us, and he'd taken us through it, and, and, and we had joy in the midst of this. And I said, you know what? Satan is trying to take our money. He is being a devourer. God has promised us, and we've been faithful in so many ways, and we've done all that. You know, we've been there. We've in, brought in the full tithe beyond the full tithe. We'd rebuke the devourer and rebuke the devourer's child, you know, and rebuke the devourer, devourer. I mean, we'd done all of that. <laughs> but we'd seen breakthroughs and they'd last for a little while, you know. i say, Satan is trying to take our money. And the Lord says, well, if you give it away, you can't take it. And I said, well, I don't have any to give away. No, that which has already been robbed. Don't let him rob it. Give it away. And so we came together, and I said, Sandra, about how much is it? And she, well, you know, gave us, well, it's probably thousands of dollars we've lost that we should have had. You know, we never actually had it. It never come in, but we believed it should have come in. It was our trial. And we came together, and we said, Satan, you can't take it away. We give it away for the sake of the lost. And I felt good. There's a peace that came in. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The Lord showed me one of the highest forms of worship is in the midst of everything going wrong, of circumstances all screwed up, like Jesus on the cross. And you look to the Father and you say, you are so good. I love you. You're wonderful. And everything around you is screwed up. The devil hates that. Gives him a migraine headache. And we just praised him. You know, you can only worship God in in that form in the midst of a trial. So we just began to worship him. And it was wonderful, the peace that he gave us. And then the other thing we do is I like to quote Job, where it says, even if he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I like to remind the devil that even if things were going well, he could never bribe me. And I'm going to serve God if I shed my blood and I die. And if God never answers my prayers, sorry, devil, I'm still going to serve Him. I'm still going to pray to Him. Jesus spat in the face of Je- uh, Satan spat in the face of Jesus. And I like to spit in His face. So in the midst of a trial, we, just, we like to say, Lord Jesus, Father God, and let the demons hear it nice and loud too. Even if He slays us, we're still going to serve Him even if He never answers our prayers, even if He never blesses us, we're still going to serve Him. We're sold out. We're fanatical. We're crazy. Then we can take it up again. See, then we have a right to say, Lord, not for our sakes, but for Your sakes. And something happens. Folks, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to lay down What Satan is, it's so simple. I mean, he's, you know, he's already come with the trial. Now it is. It's just saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens to me. I am not a victim. I am a son and a daughter of God. And I am more than an overcomer. And we didn't actually sit down at the table with nothing to eat. We had some pasta and cabbage, plain pasta and cabbage. And it, it wasn't the last food, but it represented, you know, just about the last, okay? And in the past, it would have been really hard. We would have been so there would have been so much shame. We wouldn't have wanted to tell anybody. But with the joy of God, we just sat down and said, This is a wonderful banquet. Folks, we had prepared the table. We'd sat down, we were about to eat, and there's a knock on the door. And it's one of our our friends who just felt from God to prepare one of the, the very meal, Mexican food, that Sandra had been thinking about and said, oh, wouldn't that have been great? She shows up with this huge casserole full and lays it for her and says, God told me to give this to you. She had no idea what was happening. And folks, it's not George Mueller, you know, where the milk truck breaks down, but it was such a sign <laughs> to us. God is saying, I see I see the place you're in. And folks, I've allowed the devil to come against you. But it's because I know you're going to overcome. And I'm so pleased with you. I'm so pleased with you. So, shall we implement it? Do you want to see Elk River reached? Do you know where the obstacles of revival are? Oh, what, I don't have an obstacle. I'm the one coming to the intercessory prayer seminar. (laughs) We have to realize that if we are the most spiritual, if we are the ones that have already heard the call, it's because of God's grace. Because He has spoken into the midst of a sinful, broken person born underneath the curse. And He has birthed the seed of a vision. And that vision has brought us along. It's not been us. It's not been our strength. It's not been anything good. It's what He has planted in us and drawing us along. And we are the ones that need to go to the cross. We are the ones that need to embrace the death of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who are not dead yet. And see, if we understand that, we can come to a place of brokenness. And when things go wrong, it's not, oh, it's because nobody else believes not be, oh, those pastors, their hearts are so hardened. Oh, nobody wants to intercede. Oh, they forgot. No one cares about prayer anymore. No, we can have hope. And say, so if there's hard times, if there's trials, it's because the Lord is trying to perfect me. And I am going to overcome. I'm going to step through this thing. And when I step through this thing, the vision he has spoken to my heart shall come to pass. And we can believe it. And we can get so fanatical that Satan has to flee because there's no way he can stop us. So God has already orchestrated things. He's already put the banquet in front of you. It's your trial. All we have to do is embrace it now. What has the devil been trying to steal against you? What has he stolen from you? What promises are not completed yet? What pain have you suffered? What loss have you experienced? What hope have you tried to lay hold of and not laid hold of it yet? He can't take that away if you're willing to lay it down. And if we lay it down, then we can take it up again. Not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So do you want to do it? Do you want to intercede for Elk River? Amen? Well, let's stand up. We're going to. We were talking and talking about worship. Do you know that music is not worship? Music helps us worship. Do you know what worship is? Worship is what I'm talking about. In the midst of the trial, saying, Oh God, I'm surrendered to you. I'll embrace the cross. The cross is the picture of highest worship Jesus hanging up there. Not my will, but thine. say, Father God, thank you for the trial. Lord, I forgive all the people, all the human agents who have hurt me, who have withheld good things from me. I forgive them. I choose to lay down my life for the sake of the cross. That which has been taken from me has not been taken from me. I choose to give it away. Trial. What have have you been lacking? What has been taken from you? What has been robbed of you? Has it been joy? Has it been peace? Say, I choose to lay it down. Has it been finances? Say, I choose to give those away. Lord Jesus, I'll go with you to the cross. I can trust you. I choose to trust you. I know that there's something in me that resists you. But I acknowledge that. And I give you permission to override my own will if necessary. And lead me. I will follow. I choose to go to the cross on behalf of Elk River. On behalf of my loved ones.
1: Oh,
0: Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. I sense the Lord just wants to minister to some of you. Open up your eyes. The things you've been suffering have not been because you're a bad person. They've been because you've been in the gap and you've been suffering on behalf of others. Just believe it. Just believe it. He wants you to be able to identify with them. It's not been because you're a miserable person who never deserves to have any money. No, it's because he's chosen as a daughter of his who is a queen and a ruler over the whole universe. He has chosen to allow you to identify with the sufferings of the poor so that you can be used by him to bring the message of the good news to their situation. Believe it renounce the shame. When Jesus went to the cross, it says He took His shame, He took our shame upon us, and He became shame for us. Some of you, I sense, are feeling so bad, like my, that that your your son or your daughter or a a, a close loved one is not saved yet, and you feel so much shame. You feel like, I don't measure up, I haven't been a good parent. Jesus says, I took that on the cross. I became naked for you. Don't be afraid to emotionally become naked before me now. You can trust me. It didn't kill Jesus. It, it brought him life. It brought life to the lost. He laid down his life. He took it up again. Renounce the shame. Renounce the shame. Now we're going to start to sing, but first I want you to look up to the Lord and say, Father God, I love you. And I say like Job, even if you slay me, I will trust you. I will serve you. Oh God, you're all I want. You're my inheritance. I just want to know you. Is He visiting you in the midst of your trial? Is He saying, Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. But now, now that we've renounced all of our personal interests in the matter, we can represent God here on earth. And if we lay down our life, He wants us to then say, I have faith that I will take it up again. Once we say, it's not about me being rescued from some personal pain. No, because I will go there for the sake of the cross. But then in the midst of it saying, yes, I will overcome. And to mix faith with it, you're not going to stay there. The answer is coming. But you're not going to come out alone. You're going to be like Moses. You're going to come out of Egypt. And you're going to lead 3 million with you. So say, God, I believe your promises. Bless me. Bless me now so I can be a blessing. You've blessed me before. I thank you for it. But I want more, not for my sake alone, but for the sake of my brothers and for my sisters, for my neighbors, for my co-workers, for the greater Twin Cities area, for the state of Minnesota, for the nation of America. Bless me so I can be a blessing. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Begin to pray, pray, pray for the promises of God. Pray for Elk River, pray for your neighbors. Say, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. Have you been suffering a trial? Pray for others in those trials. Pray for those in those same trials who don't know Jesus. Look to the lost. Grab with somebody next to you and start agreeing with them. Grab the hands of your your spouse or your neighbor or someone who's sitting next to you. Start praying together, believing God for the promises. going through a trial, God wants to deliver you, but he wants to strengthen you through it so you can deliver others, so that through you he can meet the needs of the others. Start praying for the others right now. Have you been struggling financially? Pray for those who can't make ends meet. Those who don't know Jesus, has your marriage been struggling? He's going to heal your marriage. Now start praying for the others. Cry out to God. Those that don't even know him yet, If this trial was that hard for you, what about those who don't have any hope? Cry out for them. Let Him birth compassion. Oh God, birth compassion. Greater compassion. Begin to cry out. Let Him show you a face. Cry out for it to Him. him up in your life. Lift him up over your name. Glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. Praise you, Father God. Glorify him. Yes, Jesus. We glorify you. We glorify you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father God. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look to Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Praise you, Father God. Thank you, Lord.